story in the Talmud of a rabbi walking down a dusty Roman road and reading the Torah. And all of a sudden he hears a voice call out to him, Who are you and where are you going? And now he's reading with a greater kind of urgency and again he hears the voice, Who are you and where are you going? He sort of stumbles in surprise and all of a sudden the Roman soldier standing at the guard post says, Who are you and where are you going? Don't make another move until you answer my question. And the rabbi looks up at him and says, I will pay you to follow me around for the rest of my life and ask me those questions. <laughs> Identity is a really important thing. Uh, we know that. We know that because when we were you know, graduating from high school, people kept asking us where we were going to college and what we were planning to do with our lives. And we didn't know the answer then. And some of us still don't know the answer. And maybe someday we will. And it's, that's just the truth. We know that that changes. Those, those answers to those questions change over time. They change on station in life, whether you're an empty nester or you're retired or whether you're you know, seven and still trying to figure out what exactly life looks like in the future. We're always kind of struggling with identity. Other people are going to ask us those questions. Deep down, we really want to know the answers to those questions. And we know that the Bible is constantly asking, who are you and whose are you? And offering an answer. And that's why we're spending the next few weeks talking about identity. And four words from Ephesians chapter 1. There are lots more words, but just spend time on four of them. And we're really trying to answer the question, who am I and who are we? in light of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to say the words with me, but first I'm going to ask you the same questions. Who are you, and where are you going? And say this with me, in Christ. In Christ. Yeah, but like you mean it though. Like in Christ. In Christ. There you go. I am, I am chosen, chosen, adopted, adopted redeemed, redeemed, beloved. beloved. Mm. Those are good words. And you should say them to yourself for a while until you start to believe that you really are chosen, adopted, redeemed, and beloved. So those words kind of make their way into you and really start to change how you see yourself and how you see who God is in your life. They help you see who you are and whose you are. Today we're going to be talking about the word adopted. You have been adopted into God's family. You belong. Turn with me in the book of Ephesians, read me chapter 1, and we're reading verse 5, just one verse. Ephesians 1, 5, I'm going to read it in one translation and then in another, uh, really just to help us to hear it from more than one angle. Ephesians 1, 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. And again, in another translation. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mother Teresa once said that the greatest disease in the West is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. 
There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread. But there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There is a hunger for love, as there is a hunger for God. That woman was an expert on poverty, both of the stomach and of the soul. And what she's saying is that deep, deep down, you and I are longing to know who we are and whose we are. To know that we belong, body and soul, to someone who loves us. And the ultimate lover is the one that Jesus called Father. The one that Paul is telling us has adopted us, brought us into his family. And the trouble is, though that's good news, we, we sometimes don't have the best associations with the word adopted. Uh, if you grew up in, I don't know, a family that, that seems relatively normal, whatever that means, sometimes that's a, a challenge, that word. And it's because you, you know that it means a good thing, but at some level it also implies something, something rough, that, that something bad has happened. And when we were kids, and this may not have been true for you, um, adopted was actually a really ugly word that got used on playgrounds sometimes. And again, this is extremely embarrassing and shameful, but I thought I'd confess it to you. The truth is that sometimes on playgrounds when I was a kid, people would, would say that somebody was adopted when they were being obnoxious, or when they were being ridiculous, or when they were being annoying, or a little too weird, or whatever it might be. It was a way of saying you don't fit, you don't, you're not a part of us, that you, you're not accepted, that you don't belong. Because kids are dumb. Uh, Kids are just, they're dumb sometimes, and kids are bullies sometimes, and I'm, I'm greatly embarrassed by that. In part because adoption is this remarkable word that doesn't talk about rejection at all. It actually has a lot to say about being accepted and being welcomed in, the fact that you belong. My parents didn't have a choice in me. Right? I was, once I was conceived, I was theirs. That's it. Friends of mine who have been adopted, somebody chose them picked them, and went through hell sometimes to get them. They dealt with lawyers, they dealt with paperwork, they dealt with government agencies, they, they dealt with family members who were a little weird, they dealt with the kid themselves who, let's be real, sometimes kids who are being adopted don't always understand what's happening, what's being given to them. All they know is they're losing something. They don't realize what they're gaining. And my friends who've been adopted often slowly over time, they start to realize what it's like to be a part of this family, what, what it means that they've gotten this word in their lives. And it just profoundly affects them. They, somebody chose to bring me into their family. What an amazing gift that is. Adoption is about belonging, about who you are and whose you are. I have been blown away by this very subtle word in Scripture because once you start looking for it, you find it everywhere. It's all over the place in God's story. Before we get too much deeper into that, I just think it's worth mentioning that in Paul's time, adoption doesn't mean what it means for us. Uh, what it means for us, it has a lot to do with relational kind of categories. Who are you and how do you fit in somebody's family? In Paul's time, it was really a functional thing. In the Greco-Roman world, adoption was something you only bothered with if you were extraordinarily wealthy and extraordinarily powerful. It was something for the elite. Normal people could just raise some kid that wasn't their kid, and the state didn't really care. The only reason you bothered with adoption is if you had something you wanted to guarantee made it to another person. And so the people who tended to adopt people were Roman senators and Caesars, 
The Caesars had a strong tendency to adopt people, if you know your Roman history at all, I'm sure you all do. You know that the line of Caesars, right, involves lots of different people who suddenly and somehow become family, which really has a lot more to do with the title and what it means. Julius Caesar adopts Augustus because he wants to guarantee a smooth transition of power. He wants people to know, look, this guy may not be somebody I know, he may not be a part of my family, but you'll treat him the way that you treat me. He gets the same level of respect, the same amount of power, the same amount of money. He's got my land. He is who I am. And Paul is using this to talk about you and me. In the ancient world, to say I've been adopted is like saying I hit the jackpot. It's like saying I've suddenly overnight become extraordinarily wealthy. And all throughout Ephesians, if you're paying attention, he'll start talking about this inheritance that we've walked into. The sudden and amazing riches that we've discovered. I pray that God would open your eyes to just how wealthy you are in Christ. He says, to those extraordinary riches of his grace, he'll say, to the power that is available to you. You are daughters of the king of the universe. You are sons of God Almighty. There is no room... No room that you are not welcome in. There is no place where anyone can ever make you feel less than someone else. There is no situation in which you should ever feel insecure or unworthy or unloved. You are royalty in the strongest possible sense of that word. You are princes and princesses of the kingdom of God. And when you walk out in creation, you should know that the king is coming back. You should walk around as though you own this place. You've been adopted, Paul says. Something belongs to you in adoption. And it's not merely these remarkable riches, but also a new name comes to us, the, the name of Jesus Christ. And that we get brought into his family. Every person who gets adopted, they, they get a new name, a new last name, and sometimes first names. We get the new last name Christian, which is not just a, a set of beliefs that people sometimes believe intellectually. But it's really more about family who you belong to, and, and who belongs to you. We've been marked by the name of Jesus, and all of this happens, he says, according to the great pleasure of his will. That's the end of verse 5. And that Greek word there for the, the good pleasure of his will, it, um, it's the same word that we see in Matthew three seventeen, when Jesus goes down to the water and is baptized. And the sky opens up, and the Spirit comes down like a dove, and the voice of God rings out, This is my Son. Oh, oh, how I love my son. Oh, oh, how good it is. Oh, how proud I am of him. And suddenly we see, we hear the heart of God. The heart of God for Jesus Christ. But the heart of God for everybody who gets adopted into God's family. See, a lot of the time when we grow up in churches, we don't really understand baptism because we don't always talk well about baptism and what it is. And so when we see Jesus get baptized, we get confused. Why does Jesus, why would Jesus join us in baptism? It's a really strange thing. I know why Jesus would do a lot of things, but baptism is, is strange. And, and the truth is Jesus doesn't join us in baptism. We join Jesus in baptism all over the place in the New Testament. We're baptized into his baptism. We join Jesus in those waters. And when we come back up out of the water, we hear God's voice ringing out over us. Because we've been made family. We've, we've been adopted in that moment. We've been brought in to the kingdom. And so that amazing proclamation 
that we hear about Jesus is the same thing that God says about you. Oh, my daughter, how I love her. Oh, how proud I am. Oh, my son. Oh, I love him. An incredible statement about family, about who you are and whose you are. You have been brought in to the family of God. You belong. It doesn't matter if you don't belong in your own family. It doesn't matter if you don't belong anywhere else. You belong to Jesus Christ. And he belongs to you. The same name that God has for Jesus, beloved child of God, is the name that God has for you. There is no room you can walk into where you should feel less than. No group of people who should ever be able to make you feel insecure. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? And the trouble with adoption is it does mean that something at some level bad has happened. And that something good has happened. It means that there's a rough part of our story that we have to repent of and walk away from. It means that at some level we have trouble with the name of Jesus. The name of Christian that's because we all come from broken homes. Which I think is why it's hard for those of us who haven't been literally adopted to understand why this is such good news. But those of us who have any contact with the foster care system, any concept of adoption, you have a much better understanding of the gospel. You should do. For the rest of us, it's this learning curve we're really trying to figure out. But there's, there's this really hard thing when you get brought into a new family. You have to start you know, acting like you belong. You have to kind of participate in this new name that you've been given. And it's hard because you come from this really rough background. It's hard because you've been raised in a dysfunctional family. You, you only have bad habits. You've only, well, you've only known really rough situations. And that's the story for those of us who've been in Adam and Eve's family for so long. We need to be rescued out of this. All these destructive habits that we've had for so long in our family. A family where you're supposed to belong, where nobody really belongs. Where no matter how much we talk about love in a secular society, that nobody ever really seems to be able to love as well as we'd like. We're longing for a good, good father. And even when we get brought into his house, we still kind of rebel against it. and we, we sort of act like we don't really fit. And we've got all these old patterns and habits. We find our way back into them. And they're not good for us. And we've got other identities that we've clung to and that have clung to us for so many years. And it's kind of hard to walk into this new identity and this new name. And I'll tell you, if you've got a sexual identity that's really strong, that's a good thing. But if it's the most important thing in your life, it's the most important thing in your life, then you are going to misunderstand this new identity that you've got in Christ. And you're probably going to misunderstand your sexual identity. If you've got a really strong national identity, a really strong sense of being an American, it's not bad to have a, a national identity. But if that's the most important thing in your life, you're probably going to misunderstand what it means to be a part of the family of God. And probably also your national identity. And that list goes on and on and on. Your political party, whichever side it might be. Your diet, if you are really clinging to the vegan or gluten-free thing and you see other people as wrong, right? If you're really committed to this new CrossFit gym you've been a part of and you found a family in there, if that becomes the strongest family you know, if your biological family is the strongest family you know, there's a decent chance you will badly misunderstand what it means to be adopted into the kingdom of God. Because when we come to Jesus, we get a brand new identity. We get a brand new name. And it's learning what it looks like to be marked by that name. Learning what it looks like to live into that family. Where we're really going to experience the belonging we've, we've been looking for all this time. That we hunger for deep, deep down. 
as Mother Teresa says. Craig Barnes, who's the president of Princeton Seminary, he talks about this, um, well, what it was like being raised by a pastor. His dad was a pastor, and he became a pastor later. It's a sickness. It's what happens to all of us. And he was raised in this house, and his, his dad worked in a really rough part of town, and there were, there were lots of addicts in town. And so he would just sort of pass out their home phone number, and, and people would write it down in case they ever needed a pastor. And there was this little boy named Ralph, 12 years old, and he, his mom had written the pastor's number down by their home phone. And one day, you know, the pastor got a phone call in the middle of the night, and it was Ralph. And he showed up at the house at the same time the police did, and they were wheeling away Ralph's two parents, who'd both died of overdoses. And in that moment, he's just sort of walking to this really broken situation. He starts talking to the police officers and saying, don't put him in the system. Let him, let him come home with me. And, and so the kid's in the car, and there's this awkward silence. And somewhere on the drive home, he just decides, we're going to adopt this kid. And when he gets home, he wakes up Craig and his brothers. He says, this is your brother, Ralph. And that's it. And Craig's is like, when I, when I look back at that moment, it's this amazing thing that all it took was the declaration of my father. This guy is family. And the next morning we had breakfast and he was just family. And from then on out, he was at our table and it was hard for him to learn what it was like to be a part of this new family, to learn what it looked like to live into this family. And my mom was like the Holy Spirit in his life. There would, there would be moments when the food would come to the table and he'd grown up in a house of, of addicts and there wasn't a lot of food in their house. And so he'd try to get everything he could. And she'd say, no, 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 hey, that's not how we do things in this family. And so she'd make sure the food went the other way so that he could see everyone got fed with all that they wanted. And by the time it got to him, there was still too much food. We don't live with a scarcity mentality in this family. We don't live with a scarcity mentality in this house. And every now and again, you he would want to run away from dinner when it was all done. And she's like, no, 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 we, we spend time together as a family. We do dishes together as a family. We talk to one another as a family. This idea of community and service, that was just brand new. And every now and again, he'd get really angry, and he would use words that aren't typically used in that particular pastor's house. And they'd be yelling at one another, and his mom would say, look, that's not how we do things in this family. Son, that's, that's not who you are anymore. That's not who we are in this family. We don't talk like that. And little by little, he found his way into this new identity. Greg Barnes says, every time I lead communion, I think about my brother. I think about what it was like to come to the table, and I look out at a group of people, and they often show up, and they bring things that don't really belong at the table. Uh, they, they, you just, you're looking at them, and you're thinking, guys, come on. That anger, you've got to let that anger go. You've, just, you've got to forgive and let it go. That doesn't belong at this table with your brothers and sisters. Guys, I know you're looking around and you're thinking that those people don't necessarily belong. That's not how family works. That's not how adoption works. Come on. We all belong at this table. Don't bring that victim mentality here. That's not who we are as a family. We've got to become who we say we are as a family. Not because we're earning this in any way, but so that we'll really understand what it means that we've been brought into this new family. That's the beauty of adoption. You've been adopted. And maybe it's been a long time since you followed Jesus. Maybe you've been wandering away for a while and you haven't really been living into this identity and you've been clinging to kind of other things and you know you're in some real messes. That doesn't mean you've walked out of God's family. God's adoption is a really strong thing. You can't walk out of it on accident. It's just that you're not really living like, well, you've been adopted. You're not really experiencing the joy of what it looks like to have this brand new identity in Christ. It's an amazing thing that happens. And one of the ways you know that you've really started to understand what it means to be in the community of those who belong 
the community of the adopted, you really start to know who you are and whose you are, is you notice that your family keeps getting bigger. Um, it just it keeps growing all the time. That's, that's what we see in Scripture. And again, if you look for it, you'll see it everywhere. In the Old Testament, there are tribes of Israel who only get in because of surrogacy and adoption. Moses gets adopted by Pharaoh and then adopted back into his people. All sorts of people make it into the people of God who do not, explicitly do not belong in the people of God. Enemies, foreigners, widows, orphans, prostitutes, all sorts of people make it into the people of God. And by the time we get to Pentecost at Acts, all of a sudden there's this amazing moment where God's spirit moves and all these people look around and they start to realize, oh, God chose Israel so that he could make it a bigger family. So that he could bring in more and more and more people from every tribe and every nation and every people and tongue. All these people belong. And that's what we see in Jesus who sits down at the table and invites people who do not belong at a table, who do not belong in the same family. Deep, terrible sinners, extraordinarily self-righteous people. Hypocrites and religious folks, extremely non-religious folks. The poor, the wealthy, the reliably middle class. All of these people get brought into the table and are considered equally a part of the family where Jesus is involved. And these genealogies in scripture that we skip past so often, the really boring lists of people's names, they tell this story of a huge family, of all these people who have been brought in, and that you actually get added to those lists of names when you come up out of the waters and you hear Jesus say, you hear the voice of God cry out over you, you are my daughter, you are my son, I love you, your family. And so little by little, we learn what it means to do family together in the church. But little by little, we start to realize there are people all over the globe who are in our family. Folks in really difficult places, rotting in prison cells for the gospel. Folks struggling because they've been bought into slavery since their birth, and yet they know the name of Jesus. Folks who are across our border to the south who are absolutely our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's tough to be an American and also figure out how to love folks are also our brothers and sisters in Christ. People in refugee camps, people on the right side and the wrong side of the wall in Palestine, there are people who name the name of Jesus who are our brothers and sisters. They're family, and that's what it is. Now, we've got to figure out how to do life as a family. We've got to figure out what it means to be the community of the adopted, but that's what it looks like to belong. Our family just keeps getting bigger. And beyond that, it's not just people who would name the name of Jesus, because we realize there are other people that God wants to bring into the family. That's a consistent thing in Scripture. Which means that you may have Muslim friends and neighbors. You may have strange co-workers. You may have weird people that you're not quite sure how to get along with. There may be people in your biological family who are not yet in this great grand spiritual family. And the question is, are they invited to your table? Are they welcome to sit down with you? Can you bring them in and bring them close that they might come to know that in Jesus Christ, adoption is available to anyone and everyone who wants it? Because belonging changes people. Adoption changes people. There's this remarkable book which has affected my thinking um, in a variety of ways uh, by a woman named Kelly Nikondeha, um, who was adopted as a child. Uh, the book is called Adopted, The Sacrament of Belonging in a Fractured World. And she starts out the book by saying that my first adoption was into the Church of Jesus Christ. I was in an orphanage with a bunch of Catholic nuns, and they taught me that I belonged even though my family life was a mess, even though I didn't belong anywhere, even though there was nobody who would call me family. I belonged to the family of Jesus Christ. And years later, when I was adopted by my now parents, 
I would still say that my one and true family is the family of Jesus Christ. And years and years and years after my adoption in this world, I adopted two little kids from Burundi. And she says, we were in the orphanage and we only planned on adopting one kid and there was a girl named Emma. And Emma was a few months old and dying of AIDS. And the nannies didn't want to hold her. And they didn't want to hold her, some of them, because of AIDS. But some of them didn't want to hold her because they knew she was going to die. And they just couldn't imagine falling in love with her and watching her die. And so Kelly, when she would go to visit her son, she would hold the baby. And she would just sing to her and she would tell her stories. And then one day she heard the voice of God say, yeah, she's yours too. Your family just got bigger. And they adopted two children instead of one. And years and years later, after Emma had inexplicably, and maybe through prayer, been diagnosed as not having AIDS, five years later they came back to Burundi and they visited the same orphanage. And when the woman saw her get out of the car, a hush came over all the old nannies. They looked at her and at one another and they asked my husband if that could really be her when these women last saw Emma, she was still under a hospice order. She was smiling by then, but still swollen. Now she stood beside her brother, healthy and lovelier than they could ever have imagined. Once it sunk in, the woman couldn't stop touching her, hugging her as if she was the resurrected Christ before their Easter eyes. When she went to join the other kids on the playground, the nannies followed. They couldn't walk away from her. They just kept touching her and laughing with joy and amazement because that's what belonging can do. It changes you inside and out. And you may have really rough relationships with your family. You may have remarkable relationships with your family. You might be in need of a good dad. You may have a pretty decent dad already. And that's the complicated thing about adoption into the family of Christ, to learn what it means to do family differently, to learn what it means to not really care so much about who's related to me biologically, who's related to me by blood. Because anybody who names the name of Jesus has been adopted into God's family. They belong. You belong and I belong. We belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to us and we belong to one another. That's who we are. That's whose we are. Would you pray with me?